going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FamilyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob, hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I'm still here after this weekend, man. That that Those games, that, that first game, especially Patriots-Jaguars, was a test of my heart. Again, Patriots seem to always... Make it interesting this time of year, but uh, some fun games over the weekend. That's that's for sure. I've just kicked back, and the weather's a little warmer up here, so very 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 nice to be in Cleveland. Yeah, definitely uh, warm weather down here as well, and it's always exciting when the Super Bowl is set, and uh, it's a interesting matchup that we'll we'll talk about in a little bit for sure. Uh, but Chris, the, the weather is warming up in January. Uh, but the Cavs are are down and are ice cold at, at this point. Uh, most recently, losing uh, on national television over the weekend to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 148 to 124. Uh, Chris, the Cavs keep give, giving up mammoth number of points to their opponents in the month of January. Uh, th- this marks a, a string uh, of, uh, well, not a string because they did beat Orlando, but uh, they they're five, and that they're one and five in their last six games, uh, and just off to a, a very poor January. Uh, now, un- understanding that this is a typical lull in the LeBron James led Cavaliers, they always go go into a, a cold spell in, in January. But Chris, d- does this feel different than those previous January lulls? Yes, it feels different. Uh, for for a number of reasons. One, I'll do you one better, Bob. They're they're two and six in their last eight, going back to that Boston loss in Boston. In every single game except for one, they've given up at least a hundred points. That was a ninety-seven, ninety-five loss to the Pacers, the one that they did not. Um, and then the only two wins during this stretch are narrow wins against the Orlando Magic, who are not exactly the best competition in the uh, NBA right now, and they beat them by a combined five points that one you referenced earlier 104 103 they were up by 22 points and they had to hold on to beat them so yeah there is cause cause for a bit of alarm here because they're not just losing they're losing badly and they're losing badly the teams that they're going to have to beat in the postseason now normally I don't get all riled up over January basketball but this has a different feel to it there's something seems to be amiss in Cleveland and and, and what's more concerning is that that there are just more reports of this kind of drama and things not clicking normally I would brush this off but but this is starting to feel like 2010 and 2014 all over again it's called the cycle of LeBron as far as I'm concerned LeBron gets there there's all this energy and excitement and yay we've got LeBron and then the first couple years are great you get to the NBA finals you hopefully win a championship the first tour when the Cavs drafted him that didn't happen the winning part but with the heat in the second tour at the Cavs it did and then things kind of flatline and then something happens in the offseason like amnestying Mike Miller or trading Kyrie Irving and you go into the last year and things just get funky, and and I feel like it's happening again for the third time, and 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 I I am genuinely worried about what's going to happen to this team come playoff time and in the off season. 
Yeah, I get that. I, I get the, uh, the the cause for concern, and, and yeah, it, it's year four, um, and, and we we saw that in year four with the heat, the, the wheels fell off, and, and it turned out there's some some rotten things going on there. Um, it, that would align with, with with what's going on uh, in in Cleveland right now. Um, that being said, you know, I I I just googled Cleveland Cavaliers struggles uh, right before. Uh, this episode uh, and I started reading this article uh, and, and I was like, Oh, th- these are all really awesome stats. But then they started mentioning games that uh, hadn't been played in the month of January. And I realized I was reading an article from 2017, January, 2017. And it was the exact same things that I was seeing on the court, terrible defense, uh, turnover prone, uh, just missing wide open shots uh, and, and just uh, a general, lack of chemistry. Um, and I know that we, we've acknowledged that this is typical for January Cavaliers basketball. And I know that we've also acknowledged that this year seems to be they're giving up even more points for an already terrible defense and a historically bad defense. You know, the Cavs have never had a good defense since LeBron has come back, but this year seems to be the worst of the four. So that's definitely concerning. Um, but you know, we have that track record uh, of just January lulls. The Cavs just don't take it seriously. Uh, and maybe this year they they probably are, you know, especially that starting lineup, just not equipped to defend most teams. And, and that is definitely showing through when they're not 100% engaged. So I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But I, I definitely understand with free agency looming, uh, with this year being year four, with Kyrie Irving having so much success with some teams in the West uh, looking like they are legitimate contenders. Uh, it, it's, it's not, uh, I'm not as confident that the Cavs will, will break out of this uh, funk as I have been in years past. Yeah, it, it's definitely concerning. It's certainly overall concerning. And you, you mentioned that the silver lining here is that this isn't new for the Cavs. They have struggled in almost every January since LeBron has come back. The Warriors have beaten them almost every January since LeBron has come back. Uh, you remember the couple years ago when they won the title, the Warriors humiliated them in January. They fired David Blatt, and then they, they went on to win the championship that season. So so it's not it's – not, I don't think it's a full-blown panic because at the same time it is just January. But it, it's certainly concerning. I feel like the defense is even worse than it's been in previous Januarys. I, I just feel like the, the defense is so, so awful that it just, something doesn't feel right with the team. And, and I, I, maybe I'm overreacting and I try not to read too much in the January basketball, but there certainly is this uneasiness, at least as from a fan's perspective, about this possibly being the last year. This possibly being the final window and we saw firsthand how that affected the team in 2010 in the postseason. How LeBron's unwillingness to commit to Cleveland led to that epic collapse against Boston in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And, and I'm just worried that, that that could be weighing on this franchise again and that that could ultimately bite them when it comes to the postseason. No, for sure. Uh, that there, there certainly is uneasiness. I, I don't think 
you know, we, we have not had a season here where we haven't been uneasy uh, about our future. I, I guess 2016, 2017, uh, last year's season was, was the one time where LeBron was committed and did not opt out, uh, in, in, in the summertime. So I, I feel like we, we, we go into, we, we've approached every year as a year by year basis and, and, uh, it is up in the air in the summertime. So I don't think that that is different. I know that this is probably the most heightened it's been because, uh, this free agency seems to be a, a, a pivotal point for the Cavaliers, but, you know, they've had to make some crucial decisions every summertime, even looking back to that first year, you know, re-signing Kevin Love while LeBron and essentially the entire roster what uh, hit the open market. Um, so, yes, I, I get it. This is this is the most intense uh, these rumors uh, of uneasiness have been, but I, I don't think it's definitely not a foreign feeling something that we always experience and, and yeah I, cer- certainly there it's it's there's a lot of uncertainty heading into the summertime uh, but it, it should be nothing that we are unaccustomed to at this point no certainly i mean it, it's the price it, it, it's what comes with having lebron james on your team i mean my miami didn't deal with it on a year-to-year basis but but they certainly know what that last year feels like uh cleveland's now going through it it seems like three or four times counting 2010 um to me, I mean, when you, when you look back and, and, and look at the big picture, LeBron, when he signed with Cleveland, he finally signed a big contract. You know, he had taken less money most of his career to win, and he finally signed a big contract, and, and he's been gaming this system to, to line up his contract so he'd have his bird rights when the CBA gets rejiggered and they redo some rules, making the under-36 rule an under-38 rule, so he could sign a, a, a one-last gargantuan contract and finally get the salary that reflects his play. And in order for him to do that, he has to re-sign with Cleveland. Because if I'm the Cavaliers and LeBron comes to me with a sign-in trade or something, it's like, no, I'm not letting you get your money for a couple of second-round picks this time. I'm not trading your bird rights. I'm holding that as leverage over his head. I don't care how many championships he's won. Uh, he came back in 2014, and it felt like he was coming back for real. Um, if he leaves, I would make him leave as a free agent and not do a sign and trade unless of course the team trading for him would, uh, give a, a very premium asset. But last time they did the sign and trade with Miami, it was just a couple second round picks. Who cares? I, I, I would rather just let him take his pay cut and, and, and cost him his millions rather than getting a couple second round picks. So I, I do think the Cavs have that as a bargaining chip more so than before, because I, I think it's pretty clear to me that LeBron wants to get paid. Yeah, definitely. And, and that Miami signing trade, that was more of a courtesy than a necessity. Uh, just uh, giving the Cavs something, be it a couple second round picks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that is one of the frustrating things. It, it's what you inherit with, with LeBron, as you said. Um, he this second iteration with the Cavs, he wants to get paid and he wants to uh, win a lot of titles too. Uh, and, and that is hard to do in, in such a uh, intricate cap limited free agency situation uh, that the NBA has in place. And it would be wildly frustrating 
if you know the Cavs he's essentially held the Cavs hostage year in and year out with his eyes on getting as much money while also having the most competitive team out there on the court and I do think that it has motivated some uh not I mean every move the Cavs have made has made since LeBron is back has been incredibly short-sighted the the only move that they made that looks to the future is the Kyrie deal and getting that Brooklyn pick. Uh, and that's at the end of this term. So uh, yeah, it'd be incredibly frustrating if, you know, the, the Cavs have operated on good faith with him. And then all of a sudden he wants, he wants his money, but he wants to, to make it on, on another team and, and ask the Cavs to, to for a sign and trade. That would be uh, infuriating to me. Yeah. I, I would flat out say, no, if you want your money, you got to get it here. Otherwise, you walk. You're not going to get the most you possibly can. That that is what how, the position I would take with him. I say we are not signing and trading you, absent getting a premium asset. No team's going to give up a premium asset for that sign and trade, though. I mean, they, like they would have to give like a really strong unprotected pick. Uh, I mean, we're talking like he he goes to some garbage team that that's going to have a good draft pick this year or something like that. I mean, it it would have to be a really legit asset. I'm not, you know, what they did for Miami. I mean, that was like, just like you said, a courtesy, a formality. And and then they could kind of say, Hey, we saved a little face, but, but everyone knew you didn't. So the point, point is Bob, I mean, unless someone's dropping some serious change or some serious gold here, uh, I'm I'm just going to say, no, you walk, you get less money. Yeah. Well, uh, you alluded to it uh, a little bit, earlier uh january struggles uh have resulted in a coaching change mid-season david blatt being fired two years ago uh chris are you concerned that ty Lu uh might be out mid-season not as much as i was with david blatt um i don't think ty Lu has necessarily lost the team though there are off the record reports that might say otherwise um but i certainly think that he is definitely probably not sleeping the best right now with all these rumors and things going around. I don't know how much of it is true. I don't know how much of it is just the natural NBA spin. It seems like the NBA has more spin than any other league. Uh, and, and we know this all too well, uh, having LeBron James on our team for all but four years since 2003. Um, so I don't think Ty Lue is going to get fired because he, here's where I look at it. When they fired David Blatt, they had Ty Lue in their back pocket. They had interviewed Ty Lue for the head coaching job. He was a finalist for the job, and then they gave him an assistance job when they hired David Blatt, which was a curious move in and of itself. So Ty Lue was a guy in their organization who had the repertoire to be a head coach and was an an up-and-coming candidate. I don't see anyone on the Cavs of that caliber right now, and you're certainly not just going to go out and hire somebody off the street who would be better than Ty Lue at this point in the season. I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody available as of right now who would come in here and be a better coach than Ty Lue unless I'm, you know, just overlooking some really famous coach who's just sitting around waiting. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is I just don't know what the Cavs can do to improve the coach on the bench this year. Um, I, I think they will be active in the trade deadline, and I don't know how big of a splash they'll make. I am of the ilk that they're going to make a move. I don't think it's going to be the huge blockbuster deal that everyone wants, 
But I do think they are going to trade some of these redundant parts and try to get someone who is maybe more cohesive with what this team is trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the Cavs have Larry Drew as an assistant coach. He is a former head coach and, and was once an up-and-coming coach. So, you know, they do have an option, but it's not like the Ty Lue situation. You're exactly right. They hired Ty Lue as essentially an, an insurance policy against David Blatt, and they collected on that uh, when they, they were not satisfied or, uh, in parentheses, LeBron James was not satisfied with, with, with David Blatt's coaching uh, abilities. Um, so yeah, I do. I do think that's a little bit different. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he's to blame for this. I mean, we, we've talked about Ty Lue in in the past, and I think you you brought it up like, do you, do you, do we does anyone really think Ty Lue draws up fifty percent isolation plays, game in game out? Uh, it, it really, you know, coaching LeBron James is probably the hardest gig in in all the NBA. You get you know wild rewards when when the team is successful, but. Uh, you know, you are one of the first scapegoats when the team is not, and I don't think you have much say in influencing the positive or the negative when, when coaching a, a megastar in LeBron James, uh, just somebody that controls every aspect of, of the franchise at, at certain points. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think Ty Lue is gonna get fired. You know, should this skid continue? Yeah, he certainly probably will get the chop uh, you know if the Cavs continue to fall out and 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 plummet in the standings yeah he, he will get axed but uh I, I don't think just a, a bad January is going to result in him being fired yeah I mean I'm glad you brought up the isolation offense Bob uh, you remember Mike Brown he ran that isolation offense all the time in Cleveland didn't see him run it much when he was coaching the Warriors um and 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 and, and Spolstra I mean I didn't see a lot of isolation offense before and after LeBron James. I mean, he's had, LeBron's had five different coaches, and they all seem to run the same offense. wonder if it's the coach running these plays. I mean, it's a, the perfect point. I, I don't believe Ty Lue has that much control over the offense. We all know LeBron James is the offensive kind of coordinator on the floor, and we all know he, he has a history of waving off plays and, and, and kind of doing what he thinks is best. Now, when you've had the success LeBron has had, You've earned that right to an extent, but at the same time, it can be infuriating and it can hold the rest of the team back a little bit because uh, people start to lose sight of what their role is. So so it's the gift and the curse. You, you, you have a ton of success when you get LeBron James, but it does come at a bit of a price. For sure. And I will say uh, the Cavs, do, they, they run a lot of, uh, for the grind to a halt isolation play that LeBron brings to the table, they run a lot of movement around him and they set up a lot of open shots uh, that it's not just LeBron drives and kicks out. It's these off ball screens and whatnot and, and, and utilizing some uh, the skill sets of the players around him. So I, I do give Tyloo credit for that because I, I think he's trying his best. Um, but uh, you can only do so much when you have the, hodgepodge of defenders uh, on this Cavaliers roster uh, which brings us to Chris the trade deadline in the NBA is uh, around two weeks away uh, the Cavaliers have always been players uh, in the trade market uh, since LeBron has returned uh, making deals for for Mozgov uh, in year one uh, Kyle Korver and Channing Fry uh, in the subsequent years uh, do you think the Cavs will make a move come the trade deadline and who who is a realistic option for you yes I think they will make a move 
realistically, I, I don't think it's going to be a big-name guy. I don't think they're going to get a guy like Kemba Walker, who's reportedly on the market. And I don't think they're going to get a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think they're going to get someone on the top shelf like that. Uh, because, A, I, I just don't think the Cavs, as a franchise, truly want to trade that Brooklyn pick. I, I think that that pick has so much value whether or not LeBron stays. If he stays, I do think it can be used to help bolster this team with a little more energy. And if he leaves, it can help jumpstart your rebuild. And so I, I just don't see them trading that pick. Now, I could be wrong. Bob, I'm not say, I, I don't feel confident about that prediction, by the way. And certainly, if the perfect offer comes around then yeah, I I mean, I'd be open to it, but there aren't many guys that me personally, I would trade for that pick. And I would be worried about bringing in a guy who is only contracted through the rest of this season for that pick. Now, now the other option is, of course, they could put a protection on that pick. Uh, That's something that hasn't been discussed. They don't have to trade it unprotected. They could put a top 10 protection on that pick and and still secure the draft pick if they walk. I don't know if they can put a condition on the player signing. I don't know if they can go that far. I think it just has to be a lottery or something like that. And free agency would be after the draft. So so there's no way of, of doing that. But maybe in the negotiation say, hey, if DeMarcus Cousins or whoever signs a long-term extension, we'll take the protection off. But if he doesn't, um, then we have to put a protection on this pick, giving it to you because we have to shield ourselves from losing everyone. So that's something that's not talked about. And and, and that could be interesting if they go that route. I, I don't know how feasible that is. But me personally, I, I would be reluctant to trade that pick uh, without uh, LeBron James ink on paper. No, for sure. And, and we discussed a little bit uh, our opinions on, on moving the, the Brooklyn pick uh, on a previous podcast. Um, I am a little bit more open to it and, and would strongly encourage the Cavs to do so because, uh, you know, you you only, you know, this might be it and, and why not go all in. I'm looking at the, the bottom of these NBA standings and the unfortunate reality is that all the stars are pretty much in playoff contention. Um, the only intriguing names that that stick out to me are you, you mentioned Kemba Walker, uh, which th- there would be some redundancy there. Are you, does that mean it goes to the bench? I mean, he, he's been effective on the bench and I think Kemba Walker would be a fine upgrade uh, defensively, give you some size and, and not uh, tail off uh, on the offensive end. Um, but I'm also looking at these Memphis Grizzlies and you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion about the Cavs looking at Deandre Jordan which I, I don't really uh, think is a good idea. And with the Clippers in the slotted for the eighth seed right now, I'm not sure if they're going to move Jordan at this point. But with the Grizzlies, there's Marcus Gasol. And that is a very tantalizing option there uh, with the Grizzlies firing their coach this year and them at 18 and 29. But the Gasol-Conley uh, pairing, uh, which they sunk – tons of money into just hasn't really worked out and Conley's dealing with some injuries but Gasol by all means is still a fine defender and has pushed his game all the way out to the three-point line uh, I would be open to trading that Brooklyn pick for him what are your thoughts on Marcus Gasol I would definitely be a little more open to 
trading for Marc Gasol because he's under contract for a couple more seasons. And, and he is one heck of a player, and he would definitely help in a number of ways. Uh, you know, probably not overall as talented as a DeMarcus Cousins-like guy, but at the same time, a he, he, he doesn't have a history off the court like DeMarcus Cousins, you know, in the locker room and things like that. And B, he, he's still one heck of a player. He's one of the best players in the NBA, one of the best centers in the NBA. And I think that that would help solve some of the problems they have defensively you'd have an anchor a rim protector you have another strong rebounder to go with Kevin Love and Gasol as you mentioned is no slouch offensively so I would be very open to that trade actually Bob I would I would actually move Mark Gasol into the list of guys I would trade that pick for because I know that Mark Gasol would be on this team beyond 2018 and that you can, you know, you would have Mark Gasol and Kevin Love at least to build your team around. And if LeBron James leaves, you can go to Isaiah Thomas and throw him and overpay for him with a max contract and say, hey, look, you're not getting max offers. Come be our superstar. We're going to run the offense through you. And you've got two big anchors to, to, to lean on. And, and so I, I think that that's a viable option. And I think I could see a future for the Cavs beyond LeBron should he burn us if they traded that pick for Marcus All. So so I would be open to that deal. Yeah, I like it more and more the the as I think about it, uh you know, former defensive player of the year in, in 2013, uh still a strong defender down low and the Cavs desperately need some rim protection. They have none of it at, at this point. Um you know, I still hold out hopes and dreams that DeMarcus Cousins would become available uh, but with the Pelicans seeming to kind of figure it out at this point and looking to to make the postseason, I think that's really hard to to, to buy into. Uh, so I'm all in for Marcus Saul. That's probably the only guy uh, I can, can see that's available that I would trade that Brooklyn pick for. Uh, otherwise, I think that you're looking at some role players. Uh, the Hawks, uh, you know, Kent Bazemore, they, they have a couple wings uh, that they, they are probably looking to shed. Uh, possibly the Pistons might want to move a guy or two. Um, you know, I, I think that's more likely they're going to keep that Brooklyn pick and, and find a way to move some other assets, some of their young guys, uh, to pick up just a, another role player or two, uh, which I'm fine with. I, I think this Cavs roster can certainly improve its chemistry and its playing uh, without making a move. Uh, but I think realistically, if the Cavs want a shot, you know, not only to beat the Warriors, but to get out of the East at this point, I, I do think they would have to make a a, a big splash in, in the trade market. And Mark Mas- Mark Gasol at this point is my guy for that. And let let's talk about the silver lining, Bob. I mean, the two times they played the Warriors, it hasn't been that bad. I know the ten point loss was not desirable, but the Christmas Day game was competitive. Both games were pretty competitive. So I do think they are closer to the Warriors this year, oddly enough, with their deeper roster. I I think that they're in a funk. I think that there are some things weighing on the franchise. Uh, But but I don't think it's time to just, you know, panic and and make a panic move. I I think that there are some viable options. I I would love to get Mark Gasol on this team if that's feasible. Um, but I think no matter what, they are going to shed some of these guys and make a, a move to bring in a couple role players. You know, remember, Bob, a couple years ago, their big trade deadline move was Channing Fry. But Channing Fry turned out to be a huge part of that championship, not just on the court, but the way he came into the locker room and just kind of shook things up chemistry-wise. Uh, I, I think they need to make a move like that at the bare minimum. 
For sure. And, and I think Channing Fry would probably be part of any deal just because of his contract situation and lack of playing time. And uh, coincidentally enough, I think the Phoenix Suns sending him back there for Tyson Chandler, who uh, is not, you know, he's a vet on, on that really young team and is a rim protector. I think that that actually might be a, a fitting move. Obviously, the Cavs would throw in some assets there. But um, yeah, uh, I, I think the Cavs are, are more likely to add a guy to fix some of their uh, glaring needs, particularly on defense. Um, I'm, I'm still holding out for a star to, to come in uh, onto the roster, but um, we will see the Cavs uh, have made some miracle deals uh, with some limited assets in, in the past. So uh, I, I, I won't be surprised uh, if somebody we haven't mentioned is on a Cavs roster in two weeks. Yeah, but the big X factor, Bob, is the guy who was making those miracle deals is no longer at the controls. So big, big, uh, big trade deadline for Colby Altman. It's it's not bad enough being a first year GM, but to deal with all this pressure, I uh, certainly don't envy his seat right now. But we'll see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, I I give him uh, for for the first deal that he made that Kyrie Irving deal, I, I give him a lot of credit for. So uh, that did a lot to 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 make me believe in him. I definitely agree with that. They they made the best out of a bad situation. For sure. Well, Chris, uh, LeBron is about to hit the 30,000-point mark and be the youngest to do so. Uh, are you bummed that it didn't happen on national television against Oklahoma City, or are you glad that it didn't happen on such an embarrassing loss? I don't know how to feel about that because on one hand, I'm glad it didn't happen in an embarrassing loss, but on the other hand, they scored 124 points. You would think he would get about 25 I mean we, we've talked like 25 points is easy to do in an NBA game that's the thing about LeBron he spoiled us so much I mean it was when, when they heard when I first heard he only needed 25 points I'm like oh man he can get that in his sleep but then I'm like you know, 20 plus is, is it's tough to do in the NBA and, and LeBron has really spoiled us uh, in that regard so I, I guess overall no I'm not I'm not surprised and and I'm actually kind of glad that it didn't happen in such a bad loss uh hopefully I mean he'll definitely do it next game he only needs seven points um so hopefully it'll be a, a much better circumstance when he finally gets the milestone yeah definitely and that game uh as well will be on national television at San Antonio uh and then two home games to round out the week uh hosting Indiana and then hosting Detroit uh, Chris, do, do you think that this slate of games uh, this week uh, is going to set up the Cavs to to turn the ship around? It better, man. San Antonio's reeling a little bit, and, and Kawhi Leonard is, is still out, so the Spurs are not at full strength. you got to beat this team, and then, uh, you know, you got to get Indiana, man. I feel like Indiana just has been a thorn in our side, and, and Detroit, too. So, yes, I hope so. I want to see 3-0 this week. I think it's possible, and, and I would just like to see the Cavs shake this off, and just, just to get back on track and, and get people off their back. I, it's, it's, it's just time to break out of this funk. For sure. I would take, you know, I would absorb the two losses against Indiana and Detroit, uh, if they just have a strong showing and, and and soundly beat San Antonio, you know th- they've been without Kawhi Leonard for just about the majority of the season and are still thirty and eighteen, good for fourth in the Western Conference. So this is a good team with or without Kawhi, uh, and, and I would just like it for the Cavs on national television after some embarrassing nationally televised games in, in the past couple of weeks uh, to just make a statement 
Uh, nobody's going to notice if they drop a game against Detroit later in the week if they make a strong showing in San Antonio. I'll agree with half of that, but if they beat San Antonio, they better at least go two and one this week, man. I would not. They, they better not lose to both those teams. Come on, man. They got they got to get two if they get San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, if they win against San Antonio, that shows me that they're they still got it. And, and okay, they're going to go back into hibernation and and mess screw up a couple games in, in January. But uh, they come out and, and punch San Antonio in the, the mouth. They, they show me that this is just like any other season where Cavs are, are garbage in January, but uh, they have, they, they'll, they'll, they'll be good come playoff time. Uh, you know, if they lose big against San Antonio and then, then win against Indiana and Detroit, I won't, I won't feel as strongly about that. All right. Well, Chris, uh, let's turn uh, away from, from basketball and go to the MLB hot stove and, uh, the Indians are actually linked to uh, a, a budding superstar in Manny Machado. Uh, you know, the Baltimore Orioles are in a bit of a rebuild after uh, shipping off uh, Adam Jones to the Giants and Garrett Cole to the Houston Astros. Manny Machado uh, has been mentioned and attached to a lot of teams, but not the Indians. But uh, over the past week, they have been mentioned as negotiating uh, trade deals. Chris, do you uh, like the idea of Machado coming to Cleveland and what are you willing to give up for him? Love the idea. And I would be willing to trade for him. Obviously um, that the rumor is the asking price is Danny Salazar and Mike Clevenger with a couple other uh, lower prospects. That seems high on the surface, but the big question there is Danny Salazar. Will he ever grow into the frontline starter? You need him to be. Because he's been very inconsistent since since he started that wild card game in 2013. Everyone thought that he was going to come out of the scene, kind of step up and be one of those top three guys, and he just ha- it hasn't happened for whatever reason. A little bit of injury, a little bit of inconsistency, a lot of inconsistency. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I think that that might be a reasonable package. Now, obviously, the ideal situation is you 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 would want to try to hold on to Clevenger or Salazar. And then maybe, you know, substitute another higher prospect than, than a couple other throw-ins. But um, I would definitely do the trade. I, I think that they need to, to make a move. And, and, and Manny Machado is a great all-around player. He is not just a bat. He is a heck of a glove at third base. That would not hurt your defense. It actually would, would enhance the defense a little bit. I mean, I know shell has got a great glove. But Machado's right there. And he's got a great bat. And so I, I actually think that that would be the kind of home run move that they can make that that really um, not just excites the fans but but keeps them in on paper in contention because I, I get the sense that people are thinking that Houston and New York are pulling away. I, I don't I'm not panicking as much because the Indians won the offseason last year and lost in the first round. So once you get to October, anything can happen. But boy, wouldn't it be nice to have Manny Machado further protecting Edwin Encarnacion and uh, Lindor and Ramirez? I, I think I, I certainly think that would be a great move. If they could pull it off, especially if they pull it off without trading both of those guys. Oh man, uh, I, I did not know that that was the asking price. And it, it, for me, if that was the asking price, Clevenger and Salazar, uh, Manny Machado w- would be in an Indians uniform already. I mean, Manny Machado is 25 years old. He's younger than Clevenger. He's younger than Salazar. 
I'm done. I'm pretty much done with Danny Salazar at this point. I, I, I would be surprised if he is a viable starter, uh, if, if, if heading down his career, I think he might be more suited to, to the bullpen or, or long relief at this point. Uh, he's going to be 28 in, in the next year. Now, Manny Machado is a rental. He's set for 2019 free agency, and uh, with his glove and his bat, will probably command a, a huge salary. But for me, if those are the two key parts of the deal, Clevenger and Salazar, I, I would pull the trigger on this Manny Machado uh, has hit over 30 home runs in the past three years. He's a two-time Gold Glove winner at third base. Can also play shortstop. You know, obviously Lindor has that anchored down, but that's an insurance policy right there. Finishing top five MVP voting uh, in 2016 and 2015. Uh, I, I'm all in on this guy. If the if the Indians have a chance to get him, and, and they don't have to give up the entire bank, which Clevenger and Salazar and a couple of prospects doesn't sound like uh, they have to, to give up a treasure trove of prospects to get Machado. Uh, you got to pull the trigger on that one. I agree. I, I would be comfortable trading both of them, but Bob, it's all about negotiation. If they ask for two, give them one. If you can keep one of them, that's obviously a lot better. Uh, but but no, I don't disagree. I, I would not be opposed to trading both of those guys and a couple other lower prospects for Manny Machado because you still got Josh Tomlin, who's a very reliable back-end guy. And Ryan Merritt is another young guy in their, rota- in their system that has shown a lot of promise. We all remember what he did in the ALCS a couple years back. So they, they've got They've got a plethora of pitching. Ideally, you only move one and and more pros, lower prospects. But if you have to move both, Manny Machado is the kind of guy who can be a difference maker in October. And so, so I, I would definitely pull the trigger on that trade. Yes. Yeah, me too. Well, Chris, moving to some uh, NFL offseason, the Cleveland Browns uh, search for an offensive coordinator looks like it is over. Uh, and reports are out that the Browns will offer that role to former Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator Todd Haley. Uh, Chris, do you like that move? I do. I mean, you look at what he's done in Pittsburgh with that offense. Uh, obviously, they have a lot of talent in Pittsburgh, but but he's been a big part of their success. Um, you'd be worried a little bit about how things ended in Kansas City and how things ended in Pittsburgh. But uh, at the end of the day, as an X's and O's guy's offensive coordinator, he has had success everywhere he's gone, Arizona, you know, Pittsburgh. So certainly would um, would be good. Well, I'm more encouraged to see that Hugh Jackson is going to see the play calling to Todd Haley. I think that was a, that's a big thing for me. You get an experienced offensive coordinator who has you know, run multiple offenses that have either gotten to the Super Bowl in Arizona or have been – in contention for the Super Bowl in uh, Pittsburgh, gotten to some conference championship games with Todd Haley there. So definitely a big hire, definitely a big experienced guy, and, and certainly you know this this offense could use all all the magic touch it can get. And, and Todd Haley has had success everywhere he's gone as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean he's had success coaching uh, Kurt Warner, Alex Smith, and Ben Roethlisberger offensively. Um, those aren't uh, those are three different types of quarterbacks you know Kurt Warner at the end of his career Roethlisberger more pocket style big arm quarterback and then Alex Smith a much more intricate quarterback so I I think that he's versatile Um, you know he coached uh, he called plays for Arizona when they made their Super Bowl run 
Uh, and he's been the Steelers OC for, for five years. So regardless of how things ended, he's been with the Steelers since this offensive explosion that's happened in Pittsburgh uh, with Bell, Brown, and, and Roethlisberger. You know, the, the Steelers were top 10 in, in a bunch of categories this season. Uh, and they sent, I believe, six offensive pro bowlers, uh, six offensive players to the pro bowl this season. And I'm sure they've sent uh, a lot in all five seasons that he's been there. So I, I like this move. I think it's a it's a safe, solid move. And also, uh, you know, Hugh Jackson's on the hot seat. Uh, so should the decision be made to let Hugh Jackson go, I think Todd Hayes is an obvious choice to be interim head coach and might have an inline uh, track to, to, be, to take over for, for Hugh Jackson in the, in the long term. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to that because i think todd haley is a is a fine is a good offensive coordinator and obviously i want the browns to be successful but uh i, I like this hire uh uh all around I, I i i'm really excited for it yeah i would i would buy into that theory i mean obviously he would be one of the top choices to be interim i would buy him into the theory of him being head coach and waiting had he and john dorsey been at kansas city at the same time he was fired, and then John Dorsey took over as GM. So if, if he was a John Dorsey quote-unquote guy in Kansas City, then I'd be like, okay, is this one the, one of those, way, like, you know, the next head coach breathing down Hugh's shoulder? But I, I, I don't buy into that as much, but I certainly agree that if Hugh Jackson gets the ax, Todd Haley would probably be the interim head coach. Well, uh, speaking about – live football that happened over the weekend you alluded to it uh in the intro the patriots uh rally from from being down 20 to 10 uh in the second half to win 24 to 20 in the philadelphia eagles uh steamroll the the minnesota vikings uh 38 to 7 uh, which of those results is more surprising to you chris that uh new england came back in the second half to score two touchdowns late or that the eagles led by nick Foles? Uh, dominated the, the Minnesota Vikings uh, from kickoff to, to the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, it's easily the Eagles beating down the Vikings. Um, you know, we've seen Tom Brady do this a million times. And, I, I, you know, I, I we both thought last week that you picked Jacksonville and, and I picked the Patriots, but not confidently. So uh, I think we both understood how good Jacksonville was, even though most people were calling it David versus Goliath, whatever. Um but I thought Minnesota was going to roll Philadelphia. I thought that was going to be a beat down the other way. So I was stunned to see not just the Eagles winning, but winning the way they did. So hats off to Nick Foles. He looked like Joe Montana out there with slinging the football. Uh, he, it was easily his best game, uh, best start for the Eagles, and Casey Keenum's worst start for the Eagles. I mean, he picked the wrong game to have kind of the magic fairy dust uh, wear off. Fantastic season for Casey Keenum, but it but it kind of came to a crashing halt. One game shy of them being the first team to host the Super Bowl. I think that was the most disappointing part about it, Bob. I was really looking forward to seeing Minnesota playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium. I thought that would have been kind of cool. And we would have gotten an answer to whether or not they'd be allowed to blow the Viking horn during the Super Bowl. I, I, I was looking forward to debating that with you. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's going to be the Eagles and the Patriots, um, and, and, and we're going to have uh, two weeks to talk about it. But uh, a fun slate of football overall. Uh, got got one really good game and then one kind of surprise. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't think the Eagles – first, I didn't think they were going to win, and second, I, I'm certainly stunned that they blew them out. Yeah, I mean, that's two weeks in a row where I didn't think the Eagles were going to win. Uh, I, I don't know 
if Doug Peterson will win the award, but uh, he is the coach of the year <laughs> at this point to to lose Carson Wentz and then to have Nick Foles lead the team to a Super Bowl berth uh, is pretty fantastic and uh, lots of credit to, to Foles and, and to Peterson for doing so. And the Eagles have a a strong, very talented defense that I think uh, got overlooked a lot with uh, Minnesota and Jacksonville also being in these championship games. But the Eagles uh, are, are a well-rounded team. So, yeah, that that was certainly shocking, uh, just the, the uh, utter dominance that they put on the Minnesota Vikings, who I thought were the overall more talented team. Um, on the other side, man, the, the Jags blew it. <laughs> I know you, like you have to give props to, to, uh, Tom Brady and, and the Patriots for, for what they did, but Jacksonville certainly blew it. Uh, got a lot of dumb calls, uh, penalties called against them. Um, I'm not going to buy into the conspiracy theories, but you know, don't, don't put yourself in those situations to get those penalties late in the game. Um, they they had they had him and you know they let New England back in the game to to do their thing that they, they easily could have shut them out uh, and uh, sealed the deal uh, but they were their offense stalled and their defense just made some dumb plays in the end. Yeah, everyone's making a big deal about the penalties and it was six to one Jacksonville to New England, but there were still only seven flags thrown the whole game. Uh, so so I don't think that's a a lot. Um, but yeah, and to, to your point about Doug Peterson, if uh, if this were a if this were an award that were voted on right now, he would win it. Unfortunately, as you know, regular season award. So unfortunately for him, he's probably not going to win. He's probably going to go to Marone or McVay. But but certainly is doing the best job in the postseason because uh, I, I mean we both picked the Falcons to win in the in the NFC divisional round, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think either of us believed in the Eagles. Bob, I am four and one picking the AFC games. I am one in four picking the NFC games. I mean, the sounds about right though. Uh, NFC was, was uh, a wild, wild, wild west uh, heading into the postseason. Funny thing do, is, do, as as wild as it was, the one seed held serve. I mean, it's due in part to the Eagles, right, with them missing their quarterback. So, but yeah, the uh, Eagles proved everybody wrong. Bob, this is crazy. Like the, the last five years. Only one one seed has not made the Super Bowl. That was the Cowboys last year. That's nine out of ten number one seeds making it to the Super Bowl after going a long time. I mean, I can't remember. I think it was um, it was it was a recent Super Bowl. Yeah, the Saints and Colts was like the first time two one seeds had met in a very long time in two thousand nine. And and now, like we've had this five year string of of just one seeds making it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of that, but um, yeah, it's interesting the trends that that the NFL goes through. All righty, man. Well, next week is uh, you know the week before the Super Bowl. Always a fun week. Pro Bowl coming up, so you know look forward to that as well. But unfortunately, we are out of time here on Clee Talk, presented by FinleyRoadSports.com. You can check out all of our old episodes of Clee Talk at FinleyRoadSports.com. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes by searching Finley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk and then hit subscribe. Or you can click the icon in the upper right-hand corner of FenleyRoadSports.com. It is just that easy. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram for updates at FenleyRoadSports. And come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com where we talk all the Cleveland sports you can 
you know, you can handle and all that fun stuff. But until then, hopefully we will see a 3-0 Cavs record next week and everything will be right in Cleetown here. So go Cavs. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Take it easy, Bob.